As we were worshiping this morning, I uh, went into a vision. I just really appreciate Kevin's. I'm going to touch on it here in just a minute. And uh, I saw get someone, might have been me, but somebody riding their horse into a field. And then they were a warrior, but they got off their horse in a green pasture. And immediately a voice of, of the Lord spoke to me. There's a time to lie down in green pastures, but it's not okay to accept all things lying down. I thought, okay, Lord, I know what you've laid in my heart. You laid this in my heart a few weeks ago to preach on, and I held back on it, and I'm going to talk on it today. It's about wrongful silence during immorality. It's a big subject, a big topic, and I'm excited to get going on it. But Kevin, in his vision this morning, saw this people willing to take a torch. And this angel, the Lord, angel of the Lord, whatever it was, said, are you willing to take a torch and run? And I thought, you know what? What a statement or a question to each of us in the church. The enemy would already understand that because I believe it's roaring and raging and roaming around like a lion seeking to devour and destroy. So it's carrying its own torch. But as Kevin was sharing this, I want to encourage us The question wasn't to the enemy, the question was to the saints. And the question was, are you willing to take a torch? Because I'll tell you what, in a dark world, as soon as you willingly take a torch, you will be seen by everyone. Not for the sake of identity, but for what the enemy sees you. Because you become a light in darkness. And I thought, I encouraged Kevin to share it because it was so applicable on what the Lord laid in my heart to share. Because you could willingly not take a torch so you could play the, what seemed to be the easy road and lie down in the pasture and let everybody else fight. But you see, that was never the destiny of a Christian walk on this earth. See, Jesus didn't come to lie down in a green pasture. He didn't come here to not take a torch. The disciples didn't go follow Jesus who's going to make them fishers of men when they totally did not understand what he was talking about at the time. In faith, they willingly pursued him and immediately got marked by a torch that Christ was already carrying. And as soon as they got marked, they had to also carry a torch or deny it. You see, in Christianity, there is no just lying down for life. There's a time of rest in every season, like Christ Jesus did in the boat in the middle of a storm. But you see, he didn't lie down and let the storm kill them. He was more worried that the people in the boat with him, his disciples, didn't have a torch bright enough to shut the storm down. So he was relaxed and calm in the back of the boat, 
But the reality is because he knew the storm wasn't going to take him out, and he knew that as soon as he got to the other side, he was no longer lying in a field or in the back of a boat. He actually was going on a walk for a mission and a purpose, carrying the fire. So take the torch, because as as Kevin's vision showed, they carried the torch and ran. And then later... Another question was asked, and it came down to the obedience that you carried the torch. Are you willing to lay your torch down now for the greater goods, for the bigger thing and the bigger fire? I truly believe that many people have said, I'll carry the torch, and they grab the torch and they go for it with blinders on, No input, no influence from maybe apostolic, prophetic people. And they run, they run, they run, they run. And at the end of their life or the end of what they've done, they've accomplished in their own mind or they haven't accomplished. But you see, God never called us to grab the torch and run alone. He always called us to grab the torch of his presence and of his glory to literally infiltrate us in such a way that we catch on fire and everywhere we run, we are dripping fire behind us on every footstep. And when we go that direction and we've literally let the fire, the torch of God consume the dross and the garbage out of our life, then he says, Now you're willing to run into a greater unity, which will create a fire and a torch way beyond what you could carry by yourself. And are you willing now to lay down everything that you have become for the greater good of what God's doing on this earth? Morality in America and Canada right now and around this world is eroding fast. Some countries... It's not eroding as quickly as it seems to be in America and Canada. It seems that morality has become relative to what now is called a new normal. And I'm going to talk about this new normal and the morality and reality that we live in. Many people don't even believe in God or the Bible right now in our own Christian-driven country. There are so many people that don't understand the founding father's vision of Canada and America, built on biblical principles to build a nation under God, built on the biblical scriptures of truth that literally gave us our freedom. Many people, they just don't understand the perspective, and I have to weigh out and I have to ponder and say, oh Lord, how can our nations become so non-Christian in a Christian-born country? And I look back at it just like a family, as Scripture always refers back to what a family, a healthy family looks like, thus a healthy nation should look like. And you see, when the parents start to become unhealthy, the children don't grow the influence of health in their life. And when things start to happen between a marriage and a family starts to erode because of unhealthiness that's in them. And I truly believe that we have entered into a season where we can no longer not be unhealthy. That we have to choose, no, I'm going to live a healthy Christian life. I will grab that torch and run and let that fire consume me. 
so that I can link together with a family, link together with my wife, link together with my children, link together with my grandchildren, link together with all our ministries and the ministries around this world. And I can say, you know what? Oh, I got burnt up by the torch. I got fried. Every bad hair on my body is sizzled and gone. And it burnt the sin right out of my life. And now I'm running not by myself, uh, but by, with a team of warriors that are ready to live an example and testimony of the good fight that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, the sinful world, it's trying to destroy moral teaching. It's trying to destroy nobility. I, I did a study on the word nobility and noble. It's interesting how the 1800s, the word noble and nobility was a very popular word. The 1900s, it was early 19s, it was still popular. But by 1960s and 1970s, it dropped off into the 2000s. It's a word that is not even common in our language anymore. You see, it's eroding our culture because what is noble mean? It means possessing outstanding qualities. It means possessing very high and excellent qualities arising. Listen to this. Arising from the superiority of a mindset and character with good ideals and morals. So you don't hear the word noble, a nobleman, or a nobility in your life much anymore because the society doesn't like the word, because they don't want moral character. Some Christian leaders are allowing unbelievers to actually dictate how to interpret the Bible by using fear or political correct threats. I'm watching throughout the, the Christian church and throughout other denominations, or other religions and different things, they're literally swaying towards the politically correct movement. Twenty years ago, there were not many groups that accepted homosexuality. My Bible is very clear on homosexuality. It's very clear that it is sin. Doesn't mean we hate a homosexual. We love the individual, but we don't agree with the sin. And I have to be able to speak with truth of what my Bible says. But there is actual religious people, leaders that have swayed over the years to where the accepting of many different things, right down to adultery, it's not acceptable in my Word of God. It's not acceptable in my life. It's not acceptable in my marriage. I believe this word is what I stand on, and this truth will set me free. But I cannot be silent and let go of my moral convictions because of the threat of politically correctness. Modern Christianity has become more about sanctioning sin and calling it unity than it is about God and his kingdom. Listen to what I'm saying. That this world has in somehow affected some of Christianity. Not all. Of course, all of you are not affected by the world. But somehow it's affected that our acceptance of what we knew was wrong and we know is wrong by the word 
has started to be somewhat silently no longer talked about in our life because maybe we want to be able to lie in the field instead of grab the torch and get back on the horse. Sinners need to actually feel the presence of conviction of sin. They need to experience that super uncomfortable tension that comes with the weight of sin. I'm even guilty of when, 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 when a sinner comes to me. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about the past. What's the future now? And I'm a firm believer that that's kingdom mentality. That's what I see as an example of Christ Jesus' words in the Bible. But at the same time, sin is not acceptable or accepted in the kingdom. Period. A sinner is not going to heaven. If you don't know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior... You die and go to hell. That's it. And of course, people in our society today don't necessarily like to hear it, especially if they're living with sin or sinful nature in their life. And so then they actually start to use Scripture against us. I truly believe that when we just hang out in a crowd in the field, happy, happy, happy. But yet the call to war, the call to battle, the call to victory is waiting for us. We actually become cowards as Christians because it's easier not to say anything or do anything than it is to heaven forbid offend somebody. I'll tell you what, one of the greatest lies of the devil is the fear of offense. He is the offender. But when we as believers are worried about offending someone because of our moral values and we just silently stay quiet and almost condone or accept through our silence what they're doing, I want to tell you something. That's not the times we're supposed to be living in right now. Many of society's morals are established by courageous people who will literally brave the backlash coming and public opinion may be against them to create new normals. The world understands it incredibly well. Radical people and radical groups easily change society's morals. I can think of some of these groups, BLM, Antifa, different ones that have actually, uh, homosexuality, different ones that have actually changed society's morals. Because why? Because they're radical and they're willing to go after anyone who dares go after them. That's why the statistics say one and a half to two and a half percent of the population can change and make laws in America, in Canada. 
So in other words, a radical 1% of the population can literally change society's views and moralities within the law. I want to tell you something. If there's morality views that need changing, we need to rise up and change them. We need to be the radical ones. I'm not talking about going after with fights, with war, I'm sorry, with swords and, and fighting and, and violence. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I even say protesting. Protesting can be great. I have been part of protests. But if I go to the protest, furious and angry, watch out. I think Jesus protested really well when the crown of thorns was placed on his head. I think he protested really well when they put a, a, a robe, a king's robe over him and mocked him. I think he protested really well when he was bent over being whipped and lashed on his back. But he also protested really well when he said to the, the, the leaders of the synagogue of the day, you hypocrites. He also protested really well when he went into the temple that was literally flogging, uh, sorry, making money by selling product within the temple, and he went in and he overturned the, the, the tables and ran out of there before he got caught. That's a good protest. One, he didn't get caught. But we have to be really, really wise, and I want you to hear my heart. I'm not saying that we don't protest things, freedoms that are being taken away from us. Not at all. There's just different ways to protest it. One way, we can fight the government illegally or against the order, let's say. That's one way. And I support people and churches that are doing that. The other way is we can actually rise up and become everything that we are called to be and get out of the grass of the field and get back onto the horse with a flaming torch and start leading people to Jesus Christ. That's another way to protest it. To walk up to somebody in the store and say, you know what, the Lord has shown me that you have a cancerous tumor in your lower back and God wants to heal you right now in Jesus' name and watch it go. That will create an amazing protest against everything the enemy is fighting against. We need to be the radicals that change the morals. And I truly believe the first place to start it's terrible if you go out and, and create a big protest, a violent protest, uh, and, and your moral standards are terrible. Everybody that sees you protesting that knows you is going to say, look at that nutcase. Look at who they are behind the scenes, and now they're violently protesting out here. I would say the greatest protest to start with is make sure our moral convictions are in line with the Word of God. That we are filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that when the Lord says, get on the horse and get to battle, we get on it and get to battle. And we don't just walk the horse, we run it full steam ahead. We need to be those radicals. But if you've noticed, cowards are always the first to surrender their souls to a shouting society. 
I'm not calling anyone cowards. But I will say, if we're surrendering our moral convictions to fit in with the society's morality, then we're cowards. We won't get up and fight. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that you have to go fight on the parliament building. What I'm saying is you need to fight it within you. You need to fight those thoughts that, you know what? I just can't say anything because I want to be able to witness to the person later. That's not right. Like, we obviously shouldn't go ream somebody out and beat them up and throw them into the the side of the road. Absolutely not. We need to be more like a good Samaritan where we actually go and help with the wounds, but we don't accept the sin in the person's life. We need to be able to be the ones that are able to say, I choose to live my testimony as a light shining unto a dark world. And I will not just sit silent in my testimony. Again, I'm not talking about what comes out of your mouth. Sometimes we need to just keep quiet more. What I am talking about is that if you live in such a way, darkness will dispel and people will come and say, how can you have hope? In a time like this, hope the joyful anticipation or joyful expectation of good. I tell you what, smack dab, well, I think we're coming to the end of this pandemic until the next one comes, probably September. Because flu season kicks back in, whatever, I don't know. I'm praying and hoping it's another hundred years before a pandemic, but how many of you truly believe it'll be another hundred years? I hope it will. It would be amazing. Cowardness does not mean silence. Sorry, silence does not mean it's cowardness. I'm not saying that. But some of the greatest men and women spoke, spoke heavily through their testimony and lifestyle. Someone like Billy Graham. Have you ever heard Billy Graham Slamming the daylights out of the government. Did you ever hear him gathering together, doing illegal things to fight the laws of the land? Did you ever hear him slandering all the other church leaders that were not agreeing with him? I want to tell you, I, Billy Graham... He's connected with our family, my parents. And I watched that man as a little child. And I want to tell you, when I sat on Uncle Billy's lap, it was an amazing experience, even as a little child. But I want to tell you, that man meant something to me. Matter of fact, every single crusade of Billy Graham that my parents took me to, I went forward for salvation. Must have been a half a dozen of them, or maybe four or five of them. But I look at that man and honor him. Why? Because the decisions of the government and the ways of the world didn't stop him from his purpose. 
His purpose was to preach the gospel into all the nations of the world. And sometimes, if we let the society wrongs drive our purpose, then society begins to control us. And that's not a wise thing to do. Bill Johnson, a papa to me. I have sat with him personally. He has come to our place in Mexico. I have barbecued him steaks on our little hibachis. And never once did I hear him slam the daylights out of another group of believers that they weren't on board with his views. Never, I did never heard it. I'd come to him with a problem someone had, and he'd look at me and say, Brent, be quiet. I don't want to hear about it. What do you mean you don't want to hear about it? Well, I don't want to hear about it. But you need to hear about it. I do not need to hear about it. <laughs> it drove me nuts. You see, speaking through your testimony is more powerful than waving any kind of a sign. But I will tell you, sometimes we do need to wave a sign and get out on the protest. Absolutely. I remember for, uh, uh, um, what was that walk called that we used to? Walk for Life in Abbotsford. I remember all my kids, young, before we went to the mission field or sometimes after we came home on furlough, We'd all go out, stand there peacefully against abortion. Oh, we had people hurl threats at us and swear at us and yell at us. My human nature would have been to yell right back and go smash the window in the car. That would be my honest human nature, I'll be honest with you. But we didn't. I am totally for going to the parliament, doing worship protest. When you call it a worship protest, it's a... S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y night. Some of the kids are looking at me like, what? Funny when you, and I really actually promote what's being called a worship protest, I really do, but it's just an interesting title, isn't it? Worship protest. Worship is a protest, but worship is, when you're in worship, you are absolutely protesting against every darkness. And I really pray and hope that the worship protests that are, that are happening is a friend of mine that runs it, and I, I truly believe that it's going to do great things. That's my hope. I, I really appreciate uh, what some of the people uh, uh, like Laura Lynn are doing here in Vancouver. Um, they do it on a Sunday morning during service, so it's hard for me to go. But uh, I truly believe that we need to stand up. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you can't stand up. I'm just talking about what attitude do you have when you're standing 
people can become so sympathetic because sympathetic people follow society. People can become so sympathetic that they change their moral values to accept people in sin. We're called to be sympathetic, but we're never called to change our moral values to accept people. Intellectuals can also follow sympathetic people because intellectuals will start to exchange and reason the ridiculous and rationalize in their minds until the facts become lies. <laughs> you know how easy it is, I'm guilty of it, as things progressed in our society worse, progressed worse, how easy it was for me to start to rationalize some of the stuff through the Bible, or tried to, sometimes taking things out of context. But you see, it's not, it's not time. for us to rationalize the immorality of society. It's not time for us to rationalize any form of sin in our lives. But it is time for the true believers to step out of the crowd I'm going to say this, I want to be careful. To step out of the crowd of truth cowards and blaze a new path forward. There's a lot of people that believe they live in truth by their own interpretation or their own morality convictions. But it's not truth of the Word of God. And we need to step out and realize that everything we hear is not truth. How do we do this? How do we step out and blaze a new path forward? One, living and using divine wisdom. Two, living and using supernatural strategies. Three, we must offer the world true transforming love that actually conquers a multitude of sin. Listen to what I'm saying. Not a transforming love that accepts the sin, but a transforming love that helps them conquer the sin. Because God's love was never to accept the sin. God's love was to send his son, Jesus Christ, onto this earth to die and rise again to cancel out the sin. Many Christians have foggy perspectives on what sin actually is. And some have many foggy perspectives of what love isn't. Let's push away any political correct grime out of our eyesight. And let's love everyone. Everyone. Just remember, God loves you, but he does not accept or love the sin. I love sinners. But it doesn't mean I will change my moral conviction or my moral compass to try to reach the sinner. I will be cautious with what I say. Absolutely. 
I won't go into the, the, the bar or into evangelism with the biggest 50-pound Bible I can find and start smacking everybody over the head. I won't do that. I have no problem going in undercover, but I will never let undercover take away my moral convictions. Oh, actually, I'll just sit at the bar and have a few beers with them so I can witness to them later. Some people do do that. I personally would not go into a strip club and have some beers to witness to the people in there. I personally wouldn't do that. It's beyond my moral convictions. I have no problem waiting for them outside, though. Because conviction is not condemnation. When people spoke with the woman, when Jesus, sorry, spoke with the woman who was caught in adultery, John chapter 8, starting in verse 1, let's read it. John 8, starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, verse 2. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Was she guilty? She was caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. Let me ask you, has anyone ever come to you and tested you? People see me, they know me. Sometimes they come and test me. So, what's your theological stance on that? You know what? I'm happy to share with them. But as soon as I sense they're there to create a fight, I will go silent because I won't step into their fight. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stopped down and wrote on the ground. You wonder what he wrote? Maybe a prophetic insight. You see, when someone comes at you, I'll tell you what, that's where the prophetic gift can be amazing. Someone comes, let's say, at me, you're a deceiver, you're a false prophet, you're a liar, you're this and that. Let them rant, let them rant. Don't let your back get up. And then if the Lord gives you something, when you were 13 years old and you got molested, by your dad. It created an anger in you. But I'm here to show you the love that God has for you. 
Or I could have gone, I'm not a false prophet. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. What did Jesus write in the ground? Maybe he started writing out sins that a group of men had come to stone this lady. Had, I don't know. Verse 9, then those who heard it, being convinced by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, the wisdom, the wiser ones, I hope, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's like Jesus was saying, I don't condemn you because I actually came so you would not be condemned. I am actually willing to die for you to sin no more. When God convicts us, he actually empowers us to go and sin no more. When you get that conviction in your heart, you know you've done something wrong. Maybe you've responded the wrong way. That conviction comes. Wisdom needs to step in and take over and go and sin no more. Oh, it's hard when I'm driving on our roads. And some of these drivers just don't seem to understand that in my day to get your license, it was an honor. It was a courteous, you were courteously given a license. It's like everyone expects to be able to drive now. Before, it was like an honor. And sometimes when I buy, drive my big old Dodge, oh, I almost said Dodge. My big old Ford Dooley. Sometimes they just love to get close enough that you just can't see those taillights anymore. Sorry. We must know the difference between right and wrong. It's actually considered wisdom. Knowing the difference between right and wrong and abiding by the rights and the wrongs is actually wisdom. So when we get that conviction in our heart about something that is not right, God is actually wanting to empower us, but the devil wants us to get infuriated or furious at it and angry and go after it with the wrong motive and the wrong attitude. But with God, it empowers us to become a shining light that is so bright, darkness has got to go instead of me trying to go beat up the darkness. We must know the difference between this right and wrong. Many times the world calls the truth bigotry and damnation. Lately the world is saying that if you speak the truth, you will be censored and destroyed. 
I can't believe the people that are getting banned on Facebook that are actually truth speakers. I'm actually quite excited that Trump's building a new platform. It's supposed to be open hopefully by summer. He's got over 40 million people ready to sign up. Anyways, I'm not promoting it. I just, I'm kind of excited to see where it goes. Just something different than, I've been censored on Facebook. I've had my stuff taken down. I, I share a miracle of a healing, miraculous, miracle testimony, and Facebook bans it. Like, come on. Someone gets set free in our church here of how many, 20-some years, 28 years of extreme pain, tons of morphine in her life. She comes as a visitor, she and her husband, and she gets set free on Father's Day here a couple years ago. I just share the story on Facebook, on social media, and they banned it. I'm sure I'm being censored. It's interesting how our views have radically shifted. Either I'm preaching a different gospel or people don't like it or something's happening. But I thank the Lord I'm not preaching for social media. Even though you might be watching it right now, praise God. But I'm not preaching for social media. I'm using the platform. We use the platform to preach the gospel. Just because something is common does not make it normal. Just because a bunch of people believe something, that does not make it true. I could use the example of cancer. Just because it's common, it is not normal. The same for lying and half-truths. How many know that our media and our system seems to be lying or giving half-truths to a story? That does not make the lies or the half-truths normal. In other words, renaming sin is just dumb, stupid. Oh, but this is no longer sin. What are you talking about? Yes, it is. My Bible says it is. Giving sin the name of a friend instead of an enemy is a self-deception to the core. Sin is not a friend. Sin is not acceptable. The sinner we love and we cherish, but the sin is not acceptable. And this deception will be destructive in your life, but it will be destructive in our society if we start to normalize sin. For example, if you describe abortion as a human right instead of murder as to what it is, then you start to normalize the brutalization of innocent life. And if you start to accept the killing of the unborn, society will gradually swing to accept the killing of the living or the one that got born alive, or the one that becomes a senior in life that no longer needs to live, or the ones that rise up and protest against the new normals. <laughs> Study Marxism. Study socialism. 
We seem to be heading in a direction of a Marxism and socialism. It's almost like Marxist 101 where our laws seem to be going. When society forms a new moral code based on feelings and sinful temptations, it will destroy the society's conscience. And when the destruction of our society's conscience begins, it creates a new normal. How many of you know that we're in a new normal today in 2021 than we were just one year ago? The new normal of sinful behavior would previously be seen as absolutely wrong. My dad was born in 1916, my mom in 1918. When they were still alive, I would ask them what they saw in transformation of their life. And they would look at me and say, I could not explain everything I've seen. From my dad's family getting the very first Model T ever in the Kamloops Barrier region. That's a car, if you don't know. The first car. I remember my family in Barrier, they had the very first radio. And so every, all these kids and young people would come to listen to this radio. You know, those big things like this. And what we have to do today, All the young people look at me, what's he doing? Hey, we used to have to tune our TV antennas, okay? We had rabbit ears. Or an antenna out on the house. I remember at, at Sharon's parents' house, which we now own, we finally took the antenna down. We got something called Cablevision. Actually, we don't have Cablevision. We have internet. And you had this, your dad and brothers had put together this big, huge nine-foot TV antenna up there on the side eave of the house, and they had it on a big pole wrapped around a couple nails and a couple notches. And let's see, for, was it Bellingham Channel? We would raise it, turn it, turn it, turn it, click. And someone inside would be going, little more, little more. Okay, stop, 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 that's good. And then we changed channel. Oh, hang on. Okay, that's good. And then the wind would blow. Oh no, someone go hold the antenna, it's spinning around. Right in the middle of a hockey game. <laughs> Renaming sin is like creating a slide into a cesspool. <laughs> you know what a cesspool is? Let's just say it's a big septic tank. We must draw the line in our lives and in our families. If we don't, who will? If we don't draw the line in our marriages and our families and our children and our grandchildren, where's the line and who's going to draw it? I guarantee you, there's a world out there that wants to draw their line. And I want to tell you what, I will not let my children and my grandchildren get the line drawn first by the enemy. I will draw a line in love and in grace. Turning a blind eye is unsanctified mercy. Everyone deserves mercy, but mercy means you didn't get what you deserve. That's what mercy means. God's mercy is that we get something that we don't deserve. 
You and I don't deserve salvation, but God's mercy says we get it through Jesus Christ. It's kind of like if you fall so far and you let adultery into your life and you ask for mercy while living an adulterous lifestyle, there's no such thing because you haven't admitted you're wrong. To get true mercy, you have to be able to say, whoa, I need to confess something in my life because Offering mercy without confession of something being wrong is not God's mercy, it's unsanctified mercy. Unsanctified mercy pretends things are okay when they're really not okay. Unsanctified mercy offers mercy in a moment when God does not offer it. Unsanctified mercy turns a blind eye to sin for the sake of protecting the sinner's feelings. Many believers forget that God does not change to be like us, but instead we change to be like God's. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future in the NIV. See, Jesus didn't relate to sinners by sinning. Jesus did not conform to sinners so that he could relate and ultimately convince sinners what is true. He never did that. He didn't say, okay, I'll go to the strip bar so I can lead people to Jesus. Now, if you're called and that's your destiny, make sure you have good covering. Spiritually and covering for your eyes. Because I'll tell you what, if your call is to go into a house of sin, then you better not go in holding your little torch by yourself. Jesus' compassion with the woman whom he told to go and sin no more proves that he did not conform or accept what she had done. He called it what it was, sin. Go and sin no more. Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, did not agree with sin, and he didn't try to win over by being nice. Many times he sat quietly, he stood quietly, but instead he listened to the heart and revealed who the sinner truly was, but he made known to this lady that she was God's child. Jesus was tempted in every way, but he never sinned. Therefore, temptation is not really sin. Temptation is not sin. What you do with temptation could cause you to sin. In fact, temptation is not only common, temptation is normal. Temptation is to our soul like what exercise is to our bodies. You go to the gym to work out. How many of you go to work out? Don't put your hands up. Yeah. I work out too. It's my right arm into my mouth. You start to exercise, you go to the gym, you work out. How many of you know that your first day at the gym, the next day and three days later, you are going to be sore? Oh, yeah. But see, exercise is building our body, it's building our, our core, it's building the strength in us. We have to exercise that. I truly believe that's what temptation is to your spiritual life. 
When temptation comes and you resist it, you become stronger and stronger and stronger. See, the temptation, the devil wants to give you temptation to take you out. But God is saying, temptation will come to strengthen you in my name, says the Lord. To be able to go and sin no more is resisting temptation. When people, and I say many times, I want to learn to live a lifestyle sinless. Oh, come on, Brent, you're a human. No, actually, I'm not. I've got a human body, but I have Jesus Christ in me, Holy Spirit in me. I'm a supernatural being. Oh, you can't stop sinning. Hang on. Yes, I can. Well, then you're Jesus. Well, I'm trying to be a lot like him. I'm not perfect. But I'll tell you what, I do choose to focus on living a sinless lifestyle. How? By resisting temptation. Jesus knew who he was, so he was able to love the sinner without conforming to sin. Jesus always resisted temptation whenever temptation came to him. Believe me, Jesus was tempted a lot. A lot. Not just the 40 days in the desert. He was tempted by Pharisees, Sadducees coming to him and trying to bring a, a, a person who was a woman who was actually an adulteress and tempt him to see what he's going to do. Compassion and empathy must be a priority in our hearts as believers. We must have compassion and we must have empathy for the sinners. We must have a love for every... I better not just clarify sinners. We need more compassion and empathy for believers. <laughs> we must have a love for everyone. But this love should, be, should never be at the expense of our character or morality. Our love for people should never cost us our character or cost us our morality. If your character and morality starts to change because of people, then get away from those people and get reattached to people that will build your character and build your morality up. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. The Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Believers, we need to rise up and take a stand for truth. If that includes going and protesting, then let it be as a believer should be. But the ones I specifically feel to speak into right now is to stand up for the truth first in your own life, your own convictions, your own social realities. I'm imploring you all to discern the delusion that's taking place in our country. It is a delusion. I truly believe there is a strategic plan from the enemy happening and going forward in our countries. It doesn't mean that everyone in the government is strategically planning 
devastation to our nation. Absolutely not. But I will guarantee you that the enemy has a plan. This is why the spirit of discernment is one of the most important gifts we can use right now. Evil is trying to shape our culture. Evil is trying to divide our families. Evil is trying to deceive the church. We must not lose hope, but instead walk in hope, the joyful expectation that this day is going to be good. Because God has planned for you and I to be alive in such a time as this. That he has sent his Holy Spirit into you and I to walk ride, run with wisdom, with power, and with the authority in Jesus' name. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have listen this in your hearts revere Christ as your Lord don't let anyone else be your Lord even though I have a plaque now that says Lord Borthwick because my daughter bought a square foot of land in Scotland for me (laughs) don't call me your Lord don't let me be your Lord Let Jesus Christ be your Lord and always be prepared to give an answer. In other words, when anyone comes to you and they ask you, how can you live with such hope in this season? Oh, you mean you didn't have to go out and yell at the government? No, you had to live a Christian life like Christ Jesus who walked on this earth. And when you walk on this earth, you walk with such a conviction and a love and a grace and a hope to know that this day is a special day for you. Matter of fact, this day is the best day ever. Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You understand that's the power of your testimony? Is that if you don't live with a joyful expectation of this day in your life, people aren't going to come and ask you, how do I have joy? If you let the society rules and the things that are going on, the norms of society, take out your hope, then you have no testimony left. But I love the last sentence. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. So the question is right now, will you sit back and stay silent? while your soul dies and your moral legs become feeble? Will you just lie in the field 
when the war is raging around you. It's one thing to rest in his presence, but it's another thing to take up the torch and run with it. Silence is killing our future. Silence is killing our children. But whatever we do, do this with gentleness and respect for our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, testimony in us. Let's break away from the fearful crowd and take a stand for truth, amen? Fight for truth by walking in it. History is being written right now. How much are you writing? There went history. Oh, there it goes. There goes future. Oh, that's no history. Oh, future history. There it goes. What are you writing in it? Your decisions or lack of decisions will write history either way. Let's all stand. And so, Father, I pray, oh, Lord, I pray that everyone in this place, in our satellite church, watching online right now, I pray that we will not have a quiet testimony, but instead our testimony will be shouting from the mountains, shouting from the rooftops. Even if our mouth doesn't speak a word, our testimony will be shouting about the hope we have in Jesus Christ, the joyful expectation that this is the day that the Lord has made, and in it we will We thank you, Father, for this day that you have made. And we thank you, Lord, that we are alive for such a time as this. I pray for the atrocities that are going on around us, the atrocities that happened in the First Nations communities years ago. I pray that I pray that I pray, oh Lord, let us learn from the wickedness of our past, lest we ever forget I pray, Lord God, that we will grab the torch again today and we will run like we've never run before. I see Samson running around lighting the tails of foxes on fire. <laughs> the deceiving little foxes light them on fire and get them out of your life in Jesus name amen amen be blessed and have an amazing week love you all